Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, and that technicolor rainbow in between. I won't lie to you, I'm getting a little excited. Today. Today we will be making WrestleMania backlash predictions and discuss the transition to the Peacock Network and what to expect going forward. We will also turn back the clock and look at the humble origins of Without a Cause. Exactly! Now you're gonna get it! As we review their A Seat at the Table from 2018. Later on, a discussion about the second beta of Guilty Gear Strive. Listen, sunshine! Live a little! And we tackle your burning questions on social media. This is the May 14th, 2021 edition of the Renegade Roundup. Strap in and enjoy the ride. back into the swing of things um this is definitely going to be a process and uh trying to keep up with the latest and greatest of things and to uh give my thoughts about them um it's been it's been very interesting seeing the discourse online the most recent thing that has come out has been the uh uh aew blood and guts match which um, I, uh, I I cut the cord, so I don't have cable. Uh, so I need to work on finding alternatives to watching the product live. Um, when it comes to catching up on the WWE product, that's going to be a bit easier because Hulu gives a cut version of it, I think like the day after a particular episode airs. So that'll be easier for me to... Uh, catch up with, but uh, things like AEW, things like Impact, New Japan, it's not as easy to do that. Um, for, the, for the casual fan, that's exactly why Peacock is such a, uh, a good sell. Um, I know a lot of people are upset about the transition from WWE Network to the acquisition from Peacock. You know, legalities aside, what have you, can't really be helped. But I mean, it still works. It still works enough. In fact, I've been uh, I've been binging uh, some WCW as of lately, <coughs> and uh, you know, since it, since it came out in the mid to late '90s, well, the the most popular incarnation of it. It's been around much longer than that. Um, but uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been fun, kind of going down. Uh, that particular part of the rabbit hole, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to pull up, um, what I've been doing on Twitter, which you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Soul Wrestles, that's Soul, S-O-L, Wrestles, like our favorite pastime. And, uh, what I've been doing is I've been sort of chronicling my experience with Peacock Network, um, especially very early on, there have been some uh, very particular decisions on what does and what doesn't make the cut, and uh, what gets a warning and what doesn't, um, and then like 
lately I've been having where any, um, a couple of the major 98 WCW pay-per-views, it will actually cut the... It's, I don't think it's cutting the feed necessarily, but it's just my app just stops before it gets to the main event. Um, and it, it has a hard time getting out of that particular area. That might be a PlayStation thing. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I started chronicling it uh, beginning of April before WrestleMania. You know, seeing like, yeah, there's some double standards of you're not going to have uh, Raw before 2008. You're not going to have SmackDown before the Fox acquisition. And if you're trying to, it's, it's this very weird middle ground that Peacock has where they want to make the product progressive, but they are also retaining some very weird things. For example, uh, a lot of the Diva Search stuff is still on there. And uh, if you're wanting to not remind people of those bad times, probably might be a good thing to omit. I can really do without any of the Don Marie, Tori Wilson storyline. Thank you very much. Um, somebody posted up on April 7th, uh, it looks like, at not that Tom Green, uh, give proper credit where it's due, uh, the tweet from April 7th saying, skimming a few WrestleMania on Peacock, was reminded that once they once made a statue of Stacy Keebler's butt and legs for fans to grow up at fan access. Yeah. It was not a great time for uh for women in the WWE product at that time, unless you were well, even then, you go back and you can see how Trish and Lita were treated, Lita with the infamous Kane Snitsky triangle where uh yeah we're, we're not gonna dive too much into the details of that if you know you know I'm trying to keep it as PG as I possibly can here there will eventually probably be a guest that will just throw all the explicits and be like well I need to put the explicit uh filter on now but uh or yeah uh but uh, I think the, going back to uh, things I've been enjoying lately, because the thread, which I stopped doing on the 27th, stopping at Survivor Series 07, because Edge, Edge did a lot of really cool things. And I think, uh, I think more heel should be like Edge. But uh, yeah, uh, Bash of the Beach, Starcade, uh, Fall Brawl 95 was the last one that I watched. Um, the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, uh, montage where he's going through a crisis and a Nostradamus-like figure gives him a morale boost. I found that very quintessential WCW cheese. It's quite great. And DDP looking like Rouge the Bat from that same pay-per-view. I don't know how to feel about that. Complete with heart slash diamond shaped codpiece looking shape over his trunks. Anyway, 
Um, that's kind of the stuff that I've been getting into. Later on, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, one of the classics in, uh, in a local promotion. And uh, if, uh, if you have a suggestion on a particular event, whether in the local scene or uh, available on some service that you would like me to review, I'm totally up for taking suggestions. Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is through uh, Twitter. Um, I do also have a uh, Instagram on the same handle at Soul Wrestles. I just found out that uh, Anchor is uh, is who I am uh, piloting my podcast from. Anchor already has episode zero on six different platforms. So way to go, Anchor, for sending the message as quickly as you have. That is wonderful, and uh, that definitely helps remove some of the stress of uh, at least starting out. And then I can just fine-tune the engine from there. Let's uh, let's talk about backlash, or specifically WrestleMania backlash. I love that uh, <coughs> one of the running jokes when they uh, when they first announced this was it's going to be the year of WrestleManias. We're going to have WrestleMania SummerSlam. We're going to have WrestleMania Money in the Bank. Uh, every month is a WrestleMania month. Amazing. Uh, you know, we we know the story. We know the story of everything that happens with WWE and how uh, creatively uh, the show could be better. And I want the show to be better because you have arguably some of the best talent in the world and some of the best up and coming talent through NXT, and they're doing absolutely jack and squat with the women for the most part. Basically anybody that is not currently in the title picture in the women's division is kind of floundering. And I even include the the uh, women's tag champions for that. Because Shayna Baszler deserves so much better. But uh, again, we're gonna we're gonna Try to spin these into a positive and see what potential we can get out of this. First up, I'm uh, pulling up the the card as listed so far, given that this is recorded on Tuesday the 11th. So, card subject to change, as always. And uh, we're going to start from the bottom and work our way to the top. Uh, currently, as listed by 411mania.com, we have a Lumberjack match between The Miz and Damian Priest. Obviously a fallout from the uh, from the bag the Bad Bunny match, which phenomenal shown by Bad Bunny. Um, I wasn't on board right away, but from everything that I've read about, he put his heart and soul into everything, you know trained and put put everything on hold trained every single day from the announcement to mania 
and it shows uh, the Canadian destroyer was an incredible spot, um, and I and the, and the reception has been rightfully, uh, rightfully positive for that, and the benchmark is now high for any outsiders coming into WWE, and rightfully so. I think uh, I think uh, Bad Bunny did a lot to help advocate for. WWE and bring in an audience that arguably might not have before this. That being said, uh, I feel that unless Bad Bunny is set to make a return to in-ring competition, I don't know what they're going to do with Damian Priest outside of this, so I'm going to go ahead and give this to The Miz. Now, keep in mind... Um, as of lately, I haven't been following the product religiously. Uh, truth be told, a lot of me catching up with Raw and SmackDown has been through uh, wrestling with regret. Wrestling with regret. Goodness gracious, words sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, narrated by uh, Jay Biggs. And Jay, I think Jay Biggs is doing a fantastic job on giving his radio presence in a digestible format and um, uh, giving Zane some much-needed rest and uh, so he can focus on arguably more important products. As I, as I said in my episode zero, I am kind of a believer that um, since the Bischoff era, Raw hasn't really been must-see TV. That's not true. With the exception of the CM Punk angle, where breaking the fourth wall and all that. So since Punk, there really hasn't been any must-watch reasons for the show. Arguably. Maybe The Shield to a lesser extent. But anyway, I digress. I digress. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to keep up with the product as much as I can, um, given that this show will only be up once a week, ideally, maybe once every two if other things come into play, but we'll see how it goes. Um, working our way up the card, we have the SmackDown Tag Team Championships with Dirty Dogs and Rey Mysterio and Rey Mysterio Jr., a.k.a. Dominic. Um, I think this is a no, I think this is, uh, without a question, uh, Rude and Ziggler are going to retain. I think right now the, uh, the SmackDown tag titles are kind of on a bit of a holding pattern. Um, kind of looking at the card, are, are the Raw tag titles even up for grabs at the moment? Let me, uh, let me double check something here. I don't even think the raw titles are up for grabs right now. No, uh, it's not the Hurt Business that has it right now. Who's the current Wikipedia? Why are you failing me? Raw tag. 
Champions Current. There we go. Oh yeah, that's right. Styles and Olmos. What are they doing with them? Apparently not a lot, since they're not even currently on the card. That must have been something I missed. Anyway, uh, Dirty Dogs I think are going to retain. Because what else are they going to do right now? Um, unless there is going to be some other rivalry that is uh, fueled with the Mysterios. I think I think the SmackDown tag titles are in a holding pattern for a while. Uh, going up the card, Raw Women's Championship match between Rhea Ripley, Asuka, and Charlotte Flair. I am definitely siding with Rhea on this one. I, I'm not a fan of turning this into a triple threat just because. Uh... I think I think it rightfully should have been a one-on-one -on -one rematch with Oscar, uh, Charlotte Flair butting in uh, makes it feel very pseudo WrestleMania main event where um, Daniel Bryan just kind of weaselled his way into uh, Roman Edge and the 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 rational brain in me says that Rhea Ripley is going to maintain. But if we know WWE, anything is possible, and never underestimate the power of Blonde, especially when you have the lineage of Charlotte Flair. <clears throat> I would love to see Rhea get a... get a substantial run with the title, because I think she earns it, I think she deserves it, she's got a great look... Uh, the internet ships her. Do with that what you will. Um, but I, I think I think Rhea's going to retain here. I think uh, I think there is there's very little chance that shenanigans are going to happen, and I would hate for it to be a uh, what was it? Was it Sasha and Charlotte that did the tug of war a few years back? I would hate to have that between uh, Ripley and Asuka. So I'm going to say Ripley is going to retain here. On to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair. Strong, strong showing at WrestleMania. Um, pro rightfully the main event of Night 1 at WrestleMania. Arguably stole the show, stole the entire show between the two nights. Um, Bianca is an absolute star, and I think Bailey is going to be fed to Bianca Belair. Um, Bailey doesn't need the title again. I think this is just to build credibility to Bianca's reign. Um, I do like the wrinkles, because I did I did end up seeing the uh, the throwback episode, which, by the way, weird disconnect between showing vintage Federation lineage on a SmackDown throwback show. And the most you actually did for SmackDown was to have a hologram or the AR thing of the SmackDown fist and broken glass. I think that was that was pretty uh, 
lazy and inconsistent personally. <coughs> 4 was branded originally as a SmackDown throwback, not a WWE lineage vintage throwback. Anyway, details. Uh, Bianca's going to destroy Bailey. Uh, I do like the vicious streak that Bailey is showing, and I think there might be some things that'll slow her down, but they're not going to take the title right away from her. They're just not. I, I think I think both Ripley and Belair are going to have healthy, healthy runs with the title. I would love minimum, absolute minimum, I would love to see them both go to Survivor Series or well into it. Um, maybe one of them losing it at the Royal Rumble. But uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, next is going to be the Universal Championship match with the head of the table, Roman Reigns versus Cesaro. The stipulation thrown by Teddy Long himself, Holla Holla Player. Another side rant real quick. Why didn't they say, why didn't uh, Teddy Long say we're going to make this a tag team match play it? I think there was a missed opportunity there. They got the Undertaker line, you know, a year or so too late. And King Booker, rather than King Corbin. But you know, it's Teddy Long. I'm not going to knock on Teddy Long. Rowan Reigns versus Cesaro, head of the table. Versus the Swiss Superman. Is he going to take the title from the head of the table? No. Is it going to be a damn good match? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think with Cesaro re-signing with the company, uh, basically recommitting himself to his excellence, and he is vastly improving every single week, showing that he belongs as the stand-up superstar that he always should have been. I think there is going to be a very good showing, unless the dissension between Jimmy and Jey Uso ends up costing Reigns the Blue Universal Championship, which I don't know how I would feel about that if the reason that Cesaro wins the title is because of dissension at the head of the table. You know, it, it'll be it'll be good for him to get the the big one, a, a big championship. I'll be happy if it does, but I I would I personally would love to have it be on his own merit. I could realistically see either Reigns winning cleanly or Reigns getting DQ'd and then let's say having them settle the score at Hell in a Cell. That would be a good showing. Hell in a Cell, cage match, what have you. Have there be a definitive end to the feud and then that's where Cesaro wins it. Ideally in front of a crowd, but we don't know with the whole pandemic era stuff going on right now. And uh, last on the card, as announced so far, you have the 
the big one, the main WWE Championship, is a triple threat between Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman, and Drew McIntyre. <coughs> this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I I want Drew. I Drew is my guy, but I cannot deny that Lashley is is a huge draw. He is the best thing going on for Monday Night Raw right now. Both him and MVP uh, are doing great work. Um, I would love for there to be a Hurt Business 2.0 to help continue that dominance. Um, Braun has kind of floundered, I would argue, since before SummerSlam, because that Shane McMahon rivalry uh, didn't grab me. The high spot at WrestleMania was cool, but I don't... I don't see Braun taking the title from Bobby. Uh, Drew has a good shot at it. Uh, as, as, as much as I hate to go against Drew, I, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Bobby retains. Uh, looks like... Let me double check something here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the card and I see... Retains throughout. I see retains throughout. I don't. I don't think they're going to throw a huge curveball unless there is another match that is announced. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't talked. They don't have the the women's tag match as of yet. So that might be the one. I think uh, I think if that is defended, if they announce something for it this Sunday, I could see. Oh, it would probably be Naya and Baszler versus uh, Tamina and Natalia, and then they'll get the title from that. If that gets announced, who knows at this point? Again, we're recording this on Tuesday. Card subject to change. If that's announced, that's my pick for that. And I think that's it for titles for the time being. And I don't think there's going to be any uh, NXT involvement. When is the next uh, the next NXT pay per view? They're saying. NXT UK TakeOver Dublin is most likely. Uh, we'll have to see how a lot of that goes. But yeah, I don't see a whole lot of changes uh, going into or coming out of Backlash. You know, given it's probably going to be another, they're they're pretty good about in between major pay per views. They usually give it about three weeks, three four weeks, and then when a big one comes around, they give it. Well, with WrestleMania, it was like six. I don't know if that's kind. Of, I don't know if that's the go to anymore. 
like how much was it between uh what was it hell in a cell and SummerSlam? something like that yeah i i don't i don't see any big things going on so those are my predictions let me know what you think um when this episode goes live go ahead and uh give me uh respond on twitter let me know what your thoughts are I probably need to have like another way to have people interact and comment on this. Again, we're it's 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 a work in progress trying to figure this out. With uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and go on to the next segment of the show, shall we? gentlemen i hope you're ready for this one i know i am this is going to be a classic review i'm hoping that this particular section of the show we will cover a wide variety of primarily indie cards of the past you know maybe throw in some curveballs here and there but this one is a is a very important one to the what would be the arguably the start of the Pacific Northwest boom. This is the one that started it all. Originally billed as a one-time event, it has become the staple of the Pacific Northwest scene. Of course, I'm talking about without a cause, a seat at the table held in Everett, Washington. Naturally, this will be an event full of firsts, including first-time competitors, as well as the first venue before making the VFW their home. This was held at Normana Lodge, the first of six shows to be held at the venue. 129 paid seats at a capacity of 220, not a bad day at the office for your first go. Nice mixture of regulars and first-time viewers at the show. You never forget your first time. So let's get to the action. Your opener for this card, Pitfall Jones versus Dave Turner versus Golden Boy Travis Williams. Right away, Golden Boy Travis Williams gets the Justin Bieber pop from the crowd before proceeding to have Taylor Bartle, your ring announcer for the evening, adjust his intro, hailing from your mother's house. Classic heel heat right there. Hashtag what a heel. Weighing in at 169 pounds, a few guys in the crowd immediately give a nice. Next up, Mr. Pitfall Jones. Commentary mentions he's just returning from injury that took him out for three months. So a hailed return for the indie wrestler. Out comes the black sheep Dave Turner, and Max does a great job on commentary to put him over as a threat. A scary mountain of a man. I can confirm, yes, yes he is. Your referee for this contest is Nick Pesky. Right of the bell, both are hesitant to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Turner, and rightfully so. Travis tries to coordinate with Turner, but has none of it. It's every man for himself. Pitfall tries to throw and grapple Turner from behind, but throws Pitfall to the mat. 
The Black Sheep Express barrels through to the corner post, squashing both of them. Turner makes a nice opponent sandwich and throws Travis onto the now-prone Pitfall. It's all Dave Turner early on. Pitfall rolls out of the way. Turner picks up Travis like a plank of wood and tosses him over the top rope to a waiting pitfall. Turner clearing out the ring, waiting for either man to oppose him. This is his ring, and he lets the audience know it. Now the chase is on as Turner is on the prowl, hunting golden boy Travis. Pitfall sneaks into the ring and gives Turner a drop kick while he's on the apron. The double team from Travis introduces Turner's face paint to two of the ring posts. Did you feel the earth shake when Dave Turner fell? Max is doing an incredible job continuing to put over how scary the Black Sheep is. I felt the earth move under my feet. Nice Carol King reference. The double team begins as both suplex Turner onto the floor. Everyone looks like they took something from it. That's 260 pounds making a 270 degree rotation to the ground. That's a lot of force. Pitfall tries to psych himself up until Travis pulls the double cross. The crowd immediately back on the Justin Bieber chance as he gains the advantage. Attempts a pinfall only gets a two on Pitfall, each duking it out, each building offense in Pinfall attempts. At this point, Travis is very annoyed with the crowd. Pitfall with the Insiguri, the Neckbreaker, the Clothesline, anything to keep Golden Travis down. Fireman carry into a front flip senton, goes for the cover. Turner breaks the pin attempt by dragging Pitfall by his boots. Travis with a drop kick to Turner as he attempts to get back in the ring. Travis pulls Pitfall to the pin attempt, again, only a two count. Travis growing increasingly frustrated with the crowd as the match goes on. Travis puts Pitfall in the corner and gives several kicks to the chest. Shoulder rams into the corner, followed up with an exaggerated windup into a nonchalant slap. Sends Pitfall into the middle ropes for a leg guillotine. Pitfall trying to mount an offense, but being met with elbows to the back of the head. Travis really tried to play the crowd, but you can hear a pin drop at this point. The crowd really isn't buying into Golden Boy ten minutes in. Bounces off the top ropes to maybe set up something big, only to meet Pitfall with another slap. At this point, Travis is doing anything to try to garner heat from the crowd. The tempo slows down as Travis methodically paces and stops at Pitfall's hat on the corner post. Travis steals Pitfall's coat on the ground, does some posturing, turns around to meet Pitfall's fist, with his face. Pitfall is fired up and returns the favor on Golden Boy Travis. Pitfall kicks Travis out of the ring when a surprise Dave Turner meets Pitfall with a suplex, which really wakes the crowd up. Turner goes for the pin, only getting a two count. Turner stays on the offensive, tossing Pitfall over his shoulders. Turner stomps a mud hole dry onto Pitfall. The offense continues as Turner caves Pitfall's chest in. The crowd appropriately woos. Pitfall's face is introduced to the padded turnbuckle before getting a Death Valley driver. Still only a two count. Travis from behind gets the cheap shot on Turner. Big mistake as Dave no-sells it. Golden Boy having second thoughts trying to plead with Black Sheep. But Turner isn't buying it. Pitfall with the opportune shove. Travis spills out of the ring and draws the ire of the Black Sheep. Pitfall rebounds off the ropes. Drop kicks Turner's knees. Turner is prone. Knees to the face. Set up for the DDT. Only gets a two count. Travis climbs to the corner post. Max pleads to not hit the lights. A small frog splash on Turner to accommodate for the low clearance of the venue. Pitfall breaks the pin attempt. Pitfall with the sidewalk power slam on Travis. 
but Turner immediately breaks the pin attempt. Turner with another Death Valley driver to Pitfall. Another kick out. Pitfall power slams to the corner. Big man going to the top rope. Travis tries to power slam Turner from the top. Struggles immensely. Pitfall helps and team power slam off the top rope. Both the ring and the camera shake on impact. Turner stands up almost immediately, met with a double drop kick and stakers out of the ropes. Pitfall celebrates like he won, but wait, Travis tries to pull a fast one, but Pitfall gives Golden Boy a suplex for his troubles, and an unprettier closes it out. One, two, three, Pitfall wins. The celebration is short-lived as Turner comes back in the ring and cleans house, drops both of them, and proceeds to choke Pitfall with the strap of his own bag. Clotheslines the referee for good measure. Max is visibly upset. What are you doing, Dave? Get out of here! Sea of bodies left in his wake. This is going to be the time where I mentioned that my system is completely arbitrary. There's no way you can quantify it, so the points really don't matter. I'm going to rate these matches in a very arbitrary currency. Peanuts. How many peanuts are in a bag? Who can really tell? How many peanuts would I give this one? I'm going to give this one... I would give this a couple of handfuls of peanuts, but definitely going to send at least one to the peanut gallery because, man, as, as much as I love Golden Boy's work, this one was not the best display of his heel moves, and it definitely showed with the way that the crowd was basically responding to Black Sheep, Dave Turner, and nothing else. Which is unfortunate, because everybody in this match, they're incredible workers, but it just didn't translate well to this particular crowd. You know, a handful or two to the match, give one back to the crowd. Up next, we have Cody Chung versus Jacob Sumerson. Oh my god, it's coming! Look at that fresh green baby face. Man, Max with the line that only Max can deliver. He barely made it to the dance. Quality joke, 10 out of 10 would laugh again. There's a lot of pause in the atmosphere. Mm, got him! There's a clause in the contract here. Max! Stop it! Vanderbeek with an unintentional zinger. We're punishing the audience here. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Classic Cody Chung. What more can you say? If you know, you know. Hamming it up, sitting down with the crowd, you know, he loves every second of this. Riff Aubrey is handling the proceedings in this match. The bell to start the match sounds like it needs WD-40. Details, details. Putting on a show is hard, guys. The crowd immediately are clapping the competitors on. I know if I was in the crowd, I would be torn on who I'd want to win. Both are fan favorites in their own right. Chung graceful like a stealthy gazelle, and Cubby lumbering around like, well, Cubby. Cubby going for the waist lock right away, but Cody is too slick and works out of it. The lockup war is pretty even to start. There seems to be a game of Matt one-upsmanship. Neither wants to let go. Max doing very well breaking down their experience. At the time, both have had two to three years experience, which is amazing for a cub man bear cubathy. Vanderbeek cheekily calls this the first interspecies match, which I appreciate the commitment to the gimmick. Finally, the holds are broken, and Cubby starts the momentum with shoulder tackles. 
but Cody matches with his equally impressive dominance of the y-axis, leapfrogging over Cubster. Not to be outdone, Cubby shows some vertical paralysis of his own. I love seeing this. It's like their own exhibition match, and the crowd roars in applause at the standoff from that exchange. The one-upsmanship continues, where they both drop in anticipation of the other leaping over them. Same thing with the leap. It's like they know each other so well. The pleasantries are over now. The fight begins. Cody starts with a Manhattan drop on Jacob. Jacob returns in kind with arm drags, and a brawl begins. Textbook move after textbook move. If you're just starting out and want to study a classic exhibition, this is the one to go to. Both competitors give and take, and I love seeing it. Classic, old-school, one-upsmanship with these two. Cody one-ups Jacob with punches and chops in the corner. Cody hella selling for Cubby's comeback attempt only for Cody to see the sleight of hand to distract Jacob with that made-you-look-hand thing before giving a stiff hard right. Irish whip to the corner. Hard. Cubby goes down. Cody goes in with a beautiful suplex. Side note here, the rainbow lights from the stage have this adverse effect on the way the camera picks up the mat, so there are times when Cubby is down it almost looks like he's puking up rainbows. Again, not easy to run a show. Anyway, Cody is in full control, laying in knife chops, seemingly caving in Jacob's chest. I'm always impressed with Aubrey's selling, but it's especially apparent in this matchup how disgusting those knife edges were. Rebound off the ropes, European uppercut, and that Chung and Dunn pose. A mixed reaction from the crowd, as some are clearly in cubby camp. Jacob tossed to the corner. Start a comeback with elbows and punches to work his way out. Gets a rebound. Cody dodges, responds with a handstand rebound elbow. Goes for the corner. Only gets a two. Jacob didn't recover in time, and now the rest holds begin. You definitely don't want to lose your neutral game against Cody Chung. Cubby stomps his feet to get the crowd behind him and gets back to a vertical base. Elbows out. Cody tries to go to the well again with the hand trick. Jacob tiger knees Cody in the face. Cody is still standing. Cubby sets up for the Irish whip to the corner. Cody reverses, but Cubby uses momentum to top rope cannonball senton. Very impressive. Both back on their feet, and it's all you can eat pork chops from Cubby. The comeback begins. Flurry of kicks. Big bear suplex. Goes for the cover. Barely gets a two. Runs to the corner and misses. Cody attempts a schoolboy pin. Cubby rolls through and eats defeat. Gotta gotta get up to get knocked down by a sharp DDT spike. The curtain call is drawn near and Cody is mad. Cody with a suplex turn into spinning power slam. Incredible creativity. Goes for the cover. Only two and a half. The crowd is seemingly speechless as both competitors are putting on a clinic. The crowd clapping them on. Cody first to his feet, drags Jacob to the corner. Irish whip reversal. Cody spills upside down into the corner post. Cubby showing that bare strength, attempting a deadlift German suplex, but Cody narrowly escapes it. Cody leapfrogs over Cubby, goes for the cutter from the middle row, connects, but Cubby rolls out of the ring. Smart bears, smart. Cody rebounds and ricochets off the ropes over to the stage side ropes and cannonballs onto Cubby. Cody's knees nearly smash the stage side steps at full speed. Jeez, Cody. I know this ain't ballet, but that looks scary. Ref Aubrey starts the count. Both men are at their feet by five, and Cody tosses Cubby back in. He is what I would say if Jacob's elbows didn't have different ideas. 
Cubby must be a cami main because he jumps off a perfectly good apron and gives a hurricanrana to Cody on the outside wood floor. Aubrey immediately checks on Cody. Line of the night for me? He's fine. I don't know how, but he's fine. Cubby V-triggers and gives a hearty yell to psych himself up. Both men back in the ring now. Irish whip attempt blocked by Cody. Cubby ducks getting his molars kicked in. Responds in kind, keeping him buckled in for gut check suplex airlines. Cubby rolls into the apron for one more hearty battle cry. Climbing to the top rope, crowd cheers him on as Cubby goes for a rolling senton and gets the one, two, three. Cubby wins, the crowd explodes, and the bear roars. You earned it. Solid showing by both man and cub. I'm going to give this match a half a bag of peanuts. If I was able to toss them like confetti, I would do so for this match. Incredible showing by both competitors. Solid textbook all-around exhibition. Both of these competitors are incredible. I've had the pleasure of seeing both of them on several occasions. Honestly, two of my favorite people as well as competitors in the Pacific Northwest scene, and just incredible to see how far they've come, even from this match right here. You can tell that there's something special with Cody. And it's no surprise with Cody just in the last year getting a tryout at AEW. So good on everyone involved. It was really fun to watch. I, ha I was thoroughly sports entertained. Your next match for the evening, Chase James, rocking the Snapbacks and Suplexes moniker, coming out to thousand foot crutch, I think? Pandering to the crowd right away, so I think I have an idea where this might go. If I know Chase James, Nick Pesky, no-selling any of the shenanigans is probably my favorite part of this entrance. Sweet stash, Nick. Miggs' music hits, and I'm glad to see it's relatively unknown in 2018, because Max sells Miggs as an unknown and unwanted variable with the Titan of a man, Jackson Price. Miggs takes the mic, and bearded Titan just casually step over the top rope. Always a sign he's an imposing threat. The mic is so hot the crowd gets what chance going. Again, making a show is difficult, but then again, so is Miggs. Heyo, got him. Miggs rambling about not being on the flyer, and that's the reason the attendance is so small. Miggs turns to Max and talks about selling out the showbox, which again, good heel heat. Very Daffy Duck in taking all the credit, and rightfully so. Ultimate heel heat. Paul Bunyan Jackson Price tears up the poster to show disapproval of not being featured on the show. After getting on the audience's very last nerves, Miggs finally introduces a worthy opponent and a spinning image of me in Christopher Rysek. Right said Fred Mann comes out to LMFAO and goes full Rob Conway, checking himself out in the mirror. Flexes the pecs, rubs his cheese grater abs. It's the Greek god Narcissus in spandex in 1999. Max accurately exclaims, he exudes spray tan. Naturally, this is the heel you want to take away from the show by aligning yourself with the local celebrity. Proud tries to start a you're not sexy chant, but it peters off quickly. The most beautiful wrestler in the Pacific Northwest declares the match will start now. Doesn't get as much heel heat as Miggs does, but we'll see how this goes. The bell is called for three times before I think a cowbell goes? I couldn't tell if Max went off the script, but the mic picks up. What am I paying you for? 
The match begins with Chase and Chris locking up, Rysek immediately flexing his bravado here. Max still hot about the flyer being torn by Miggs. Those flyers aren't cheap. Headlock upon headlock, counter upon counter, and James starts to mount an offense on Rysek with armbar takedowns. Rysek immediately rolls out of the ring and goes for page 103 of the heel handbook, pretend you're hurt and act like your opponent is not worth your time. Ref Pesky trying to get Rysek back in, makes and Price visibly call for a timeout. Max is so audibly frustrated he can't finish his sentence. Chase James runs to the top corner post and dives onto a waiting Jackson Price as the other two bolt in opposite directions. Vanderbeek tries to make tree jokes, but Max isn't having any of it. They say if a tree falls and no one is around, everyone heard it. Max ain't got no time for this, Beekman. Rysek quickly sneaks back into the ring and kicks the ropes as Chase works his way back in, dropping him like a sack of Yukon potatoes. Pesky is on to Rysek as he shows just how shiny his boots are. He takes very good care of them. Another set of gut checks in the corner post doesn't quite have the mud hole stomped out of him yet, as trainer Rysek uses Irish whip and leaves Chase James stunned. Rysek drops James to the ground, cutting off any neutral game he has for a good old Thighmaster session with Chase's head. Rysek is very pleased with his workout. Let's go Chase chance start as James gets a free chiropractic session with the metal rope. How thoughtful. Commentary mentions an eclectic crowd. The varying response makes me think it's a bit too one-sided for the crowd's liking. Methinks a comeback should happen soon. After Chase gets the taste of Rysek's boot out of his mouth, Rysek even more generous to help reposition Chase's spine with a neckbreaker. Goes with the cover, only a one. Rysek argues slow count to the official textbook heel work. But the crowd ain't feeling it at this point. The hubris leads to Chase James going schoolboy attempt, but only gets a fast two. More arguing with the ref. A rebound to James. James responds with a sunset flip pin. Only gets a two. Rysek with a decent dropkick to give some space, sets up again with an elbow to the face, and lets the crowd know he's exerting his dominance. A few people chanting for Chase. The light is fading fast. Ryback goes for the abdominal stretch. Tries to get further tension by grabbing the ropes, but the ref stops that quickly. Crowd are rooting for James more as he attempts to counter with a... powerbomb? It looks like there was a moment of hesitation because it went from armbar to sidewalk slam to awkward powerbomb pin attempt. Only gets a two, but jeez, that looked pretty rough. I'm glad no one was hurt from that particular exchange. Vanderbeek saves it on commentary by stating, It's hard to grab a guy with that much body oil. Clothesline flattens Chase James, and at this point, if you're not hearing the heckling of the crowd, you're hearing the pins drop. When the most over thing at this point of the match is Miggs' hazing of the crowd and commentary acknowledging it, that's probably when you should rush to the finish. Right said Fred attempts to do just that with a bear hug powerbomb. A cool looking hold, but it only gets a two count. Chase James visibly exhausted, Rob Conway visibly frustrated. James gets set up at the corner post, Ryback double checks Chase's vision, Superplex attempt thwarted by the tried-and-true butting of heads. Impressive handstand head scissors by Rybread. Catches his breath before going for the nonchalant cover, pumping his arm in preemptive victory, a kick at a two. 
Meg's talking some smack in front of the camera, which I feel was very underutilized in this matchup. Chase goes for a Russian leg sweep, and both men are down. Finally, some life in the crowd as they clap to rally while Chase pounds the canvas. Chase ducks a clothesline before dishing his own. The comeback starts with a rally of clotheslines. Chase sets up for a slight stalling suplex, gets the crowd going before setting up the spike DDT, and... Jackson Price on the apron, asking the ref if there's something in his eye. It's an elaborate ruse! Miggs gets in the ring and gut checks Chase James. Max loses his mind. Miggs bouncing off the ropes right next to a really concerned Nick Pesky. Swinging cutter connects. Distraction was enough for the one, two, three. Christopher Rysek is your winner. A choir of boos and cowbells as the victor takes the spoils and the heels celebrate. This match gets a couple handfuls of peanuts to the crowd. The crowd was not really into this. I'm sure the most beautiful man in the Pacific Northwest has some skill, but it just felt so transparently bad. Combined with the mic issues when Miggs was hijacking the show, you could just tell that this was that filler match to get heel heat for the sake of getting heel heat. A lot of it, unfortunately, was just a detriment to the match itself. I know Chase James is a good worker, but unfortunately this was not the match to showcase that. So whatever peanuts this match would have got spilled onto the floor and ring crew is going to have to pick it up afterwards. For your next matchup, Ref Aubrey is watching over the proceedings of this one, billed as the co-main event, if I'm hearing Taylor Bartle correctly. It's Thunder Rosa versus Priscilla Kelly. Thunder Rosa at this time in 2018 was post-Ring of Honor and would be about another year before her NWA debut, so this is a huge get for Washington, especially for Max's first show. Everyone is just over the moon for her and who did I see in the front row? None other than the Germinator and Real Honesty's John Ritland dancing with Thunder Rosa. Praise be. I love to see this. More fanfare for the loving crowd. Rosa is so over right out of the gate. They are excited for this. Out comes Priscilla Kelly, the Gypsy Queen, as commentary calls her. I'm not as familiar with her work, but first impressions gave me a bit of Holly Cromwell vibes, that witchy feel to her. I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. Vanderbeek is taken aback. What a spooky lady. I have to stop myself from going full eagles and talking about raven hair and ruby lips. Also, Priscilla Kelly, not Priscilla Presley, as Google wanted to autofill doing research for this show, had only appeared in the Mae Young Classic a couple of months prior, so another huge get for Without a Cause and their debut show. Both competitors are raring to go. Aubrey calls for the bell, and the bell works! Still sounds a bit muffled, but it's a real bell! Right away, the crowd is super hot for Thunder Rosa, and they haven't even locked up yet. Few things work a crowd over like some good dancing. Max mentions on commentary a pair first. First time that these two have ever had a match together? Not too surprising given Rosa and Kelly have only been wrestling three and four years respectively. And also the first time both have competed in the Washington State area. For the lockup, it's a dance-off challenge. Vanderbeek is over the moon because hips don't lie. Rosa egging Kelly on and the crowd chants, do it. Do it. Kelly prepares to do a little shimmy, and five fingers said slap to Rose's face. Fun and games 
are over. We're in it now. Priscilla with a wicked arm wrench and a takedown. Rosa rolls out of it and quickly goes for the cradle pin attempt, quickly out at one. Commentary putting over their credentials, and Kelly keeps the wrist lock on and adds insult to injury by licking the back of her hand. Very unique psychological tactic in this pre-pandemic era matchup. Trip toehold knocks Kelly down converts to an STF, and she bites a forehead, as the classic WWE games used to say. Textbook ground and neutral for both competitors, and the crowd is super invested in this match. Commentary hamming it up with pirate jokes during this exchange. Thank you guys, don't ever change. Rosa picks up Kelly for a power slam rolling pin attempt. It's classic Greco-Roman wrestling from the Romanian and Rosa. Both are jockeying for position. Both stand in neutral corners after the exchange, and the crowd claps in approval. Lockups begin again, and nice arm drag from Priscilla Kelly. Rosa adding the bridge to relieve the pressure. Kelly locking down Rosa with punches to the torso and standing kicks to the arm. Ouch! Priscilla calling for the crowd, charging to the corner post. Rosa counters, tossing Kelly to the apron. Rosa brings her back for a hearty chop to the chest. One guy in the crowd notices Rosa doing the robot, going for the Irish whip from the opposite corner. Good eye, that guy. Kelly leapfrogs over a charging Rosa. The pursuit is afoot. Rosa, with an impressive split cradle pin attempt, didn't get all of that one, follows it up with an armbar into a bridge pin attempt. Aubrey only gives it a two. The crowd is hot at this point. Both competitors displaying a clinic. Rosa with the Hurricanrana, sending Kelly to the corner. The crowd is now all Rosa as she charges, but once again, Kelly counters. Elbows, arm drags, running knees, goes for the cover, only gets a two. The next sequence is a little hard for me to make out from the angle they used. But Kelly rests on the small of Rosa's back. Priscilla is unenthused with Aubrey's call for the five count, as it looked to be a very pedestrian reverse armbar. Immediately thought better of it and goes for some of that unique offense, tanning Rosa's hide. Psychology 101 from Hell's Favorite Harlot. Commentary follows up with giving the fans what they want and then more. Kelly continuing that unique offense on Rosa. Utilizing forearm strikes, the rope as a tag team partner, drop kick, and a cover, only a two count. Rosa counters a kick attempt, sending Priscilla prone. A flurry of knees and a grounded clothesline goes for the cover, still only gets a two. Rosa psyching up the crowd, going for a unique submission move I can only describe as a body scissor torture rack. Very painful looking. Adds the airplane spin but Kelly counters into a pin attempt. Rosa kicks out to be met with delicious chops and fruit punch from pillar to post. Kelly hooking Rosa's arms over the top ropes and gives us a retro throwback to Stretch Armstrong, breaking it up at Aubrey's three count. Kelly offering Rosa another helping of tender chops. But Rosa declines by offering her own. And that chop echoes in the Normana Lodge. Everyone felt that one. Rosa is really psyched up and asks the crowd if they want one more. The crowd gets quiet, giving it the Big Show treatment. And it pays off. Goes for the pin. Kelly quickly kicks out at one. Back to standing neutral. They has fight. Quick pin attempt by Priscilla. Rosa kicks out at two. McFlurries continue, and Rosa rolls through a Russian leg sweep, converting it into an armbar leg scissors. And Kelly is in trouble. Kelly stamps her feet to get the crowd clapping, and just barely gets her fingers on the bottom rope. Aubrey calls for the break. Priscilla offers a knuckle sandwich. Max with a call of the match. 
Priscilla going back to her favorite fist. Priscilla, utilizing the bottom ropes on a downed Rosa, gets the four count from Aubrey, so you know she's mad and looking to end it by any means necessary. Kelly toying with Aubrey's authority at this point. This is not quite the no-nonsense-in-your-face Aubrey we know today, so Kelly is taking advantage of her kindness here. A series of running elbows and clotheslines in the corner. Rosie counters with defeat in the face and gets a Spider-Man flip over Rosa's back, landing on her feet. Comeback mechanic activated! Sykes herself up, delivering arms, elbows, clotheslines, basically the full course meal of an onslaught to gain momentum. Kelly is down on the bottom rope. Rosa calls for the crowd and more polished shoes to the mall. Drags to the center, goes for the cover, Kelly kicks out at two and a half. Rosa doesn't believe it and tells the crowd that the end is near. Power slam to the corner. Rosa climbs to the top rope, goes for the coup de gras, but Priscilla rolls out of the way. Slugfest in the middle of the ring. Big DDT from Thunder Rosa. Both back on their feet. Rosa goes for the corner. Tenderizes Kelly's chest with lightning kicks. Rose attempts a dive but gets caught. Swinging power slam from Priscilla Kelly. Only a two. Immediately follows with the crucifix pin. Transitions into a crossface. Rosa might be in trouble. Rosa crawls to the center of the ring. Rolling through into a bridge pin attempt. Rosa keeps it locked into a crossface attempt of her own, but Kelly is too close to the ropes. Both back at a vertical base. Rosa throws Kelly into the center of the ring. Attempts to gain momentum for a running kick. Kelly dodges. Both competitors matching nearly every move in this furious exchange. Kelly with a hard-hitting STO. Only gets a two and a half. Priscilla Kelly is beside herself, pleading with Aubrey. But still, only a two. Priscilla calls for the end. Rosa dodges everything but the last kick to the head. Kelly still only gets a two. Priscilla, in rage, pulls Rosa towards her, climbing the top rope, trying the guillotine chokehold, but Rosa fights out of it. Snapmare off the corner post. Rosa setting up one more time, connects with the coup de gras. One, two, three. Thunder Rosa picks up the win. The crowd erupts in a roar of applause. Rosa raises Priscilla Kelly's hand. Both these women are winners in the crowd's eyes. This co-main event gets another healthy helping of peanut confetti. My goodness, the energy just did not stop both of these competitors. For having only a few years experience between the two of them, they certainly know how to put on a proper match. The storytelling that went behind this just had everybody invested and so thoroughly entertaining to watch. I had a lot of fun experience at at home, I can only imagine how electric it would have been to see this in person. Congratulations to both women here. Incredible showing, pay-per-view caliber match, huge get for Without a Cause, just incredible to see. And that is going to conclude part one of this review of Without a Cause, A Seat at the Table. There are three matches left to go, and we will continue where we left off next week. Here comes the fun part. Just finally got done with Guilty Gear Strive. Um, I imagine there's probably a few hours left in the beta, but I think I have enough of an impression to give you my thoughts on it. I, uh, I participated in both of the betas. Uh, the first one that happened, uh, what was it, a couple months earlier, back in February, I want to say? 
And then uh, this one here. Uh, they mentioned that the game was delayed from its original release date back in April to fix some things. And first impression that I got is one of the things they fixed was the lobby system. So to give you context before, um, Arc System Works has this really weird habit of gamifying to the extreme their lobby experience. You saw, for examples, of uh, Guilty Gear, Eek Sword, and uh, Blaze Blue Cross Tag, where in order to challenge somebody, you had to go into a lobby and sit at an arcade cabinet. And what they had before was sort of a hotel challenge system, I guess is the best way to put it, where you, you make an avatar and you basically put up your dukes on guard and whoever is going to come in and challenge you, that's who you're going to fight. Well, they had a lot of issues with the connectivity on that and so people are just like, let's just do quick matches and get our challenges in that way. They still have a lobby system in place, but at least it allows for random challenges if you so desire. You basically uh, are kind of in like a magical booth, which can either open you up to being challenged by somebody in that same room as you, or it can allow for people wanting quick matches in. So it gives you some versatility there. Um, the other big thing that people were looking for for this particular beta was we get our hands on Anjimito and Ino for the first time. Um, <clears throat> they seem pretty good. Are they great? In the right hands, probably. Um, they didn't necessarily mesh with my particular playstyle. Uh, just to give you an idea, I basically am a Kai main. Um, I usually play Kai or Soul. Um, occasionally dip into other characters like Chip and Milia, but I primarily stick with Kai. I'm a Kai or die. Um, that being said, uh, in, the, in the first beta, Kai and Soul felt a little off, so I ended up trying to have fun with Potemkin. And Potemkin is a completely different character compared to his previous iterations. He hits hard. He, I think in the right hands, can have really good combo setups um, where you pop into the air and catch them. Uh, he's he's your go-to grappler, as he always has been, but it's, it's still very different. Um, the design choices for this game, where they're trying to reboot the game for the sense of trying to get new players in it's okay it's okay um it still is going to take a little bit of a learning curve it's not going to be completely newbie friendly um but i think there's enough tools there to help you learn um in the command list especially where it actually shows you a short video of what the moves look like in your moveset that's a really cool addition and i think more games should implement that going forward um Going back to the characters, though, uh, 
You know, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I'm sure she's got some bread and butters that are uh, gonna make her pretty good. Um, definitely not the most uh, casual, friendly character. It definitely seems like there's a lot of setups um, that you go from range, because she has a weird mix of ranged attacks, and then she kind of rushes in to get close up to you and then do attacks that way. Um, I will say this, uh, one of the things that I was reminded of going through the beta this time around was your move set is your movement. And by that I mean it's um, it's not a hundred percent footsie. Uh, so for example, with, uh, with me getting in with Kai, um, you're using your uh, you're using your, it's, it's the, um, deep, it's the, uh, Hadoken back kick motion, the, where he spins around with the sword and all that. You're primarily using that not as a response, but as a way of closing the gap. And it, it didn't really click until this time around that that's kind of what they're doing with this is that it's not footsie in the traditional sense. You're not going to poke with jab to confirm into your moves for the most part, at least with my experience with uh, the people that I played online and just relearning how this game works. So that's something to keep in mind. You're not gonna have full rush. Uh, you're not gonna have a lot of mobility because um, your air dashes and stuff like that is actually really slow. Uh, it requires a bit more setup than you're used to. Um, for those that do know the old Guilty Gear games, Roman cancels do exist, but it costs meter to do it. So that's something to keep in mind as well. That um, it's, it's a different game. Uh, your skills from Sword or even... Like, my, my, the most experience that I have is Double uh, X Reload or Midnight Carnival. Um, so keep that in mind as you get into this. Um, Angie Mito is... I think he's going to be a threat. Because he has, like, a... Like, the la literally, the last matchup that I had was I got three games in with a really good Angie player. And his... His pivot, basically, um, allows him to kind of nullify an attack and potentially set up for a counter. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, is that his dances are very dangerous and you really have to pick your spots when going against him. Um, I also re-dip my toes in with um, Chip Sanef. Uh, he's not as chaotic as he used to be. Like, again, a, a lot of these characters are toned-down versions of their previous selves, kind of go, uh, going back to basics. But uh, I, there's there's definitely enough substance there where um, people that want to get an experience out of it, they're, they're, they're going to get an experience out of it. I feel like this is going to have its crowd. I feel like it's going to have its place. Um, do I think it's going to be a big seller? I don't know. I think 
for uh, again i haven't seen a whole lot of like mainstream coverage on this um there hasn't really been an announcement of if there's going to be like an esports support but i think the game still has a little bit of development time left so we may hear some things sooner than later after the beta closes um it's i want the game to do well i think that there's going to be a place for it um but it's not it's not the same game um and they they made that they made that clear from the get-go and i'm not i'm not saying that as a knock um but i have to remind myself that that uh you know, for example, uh, it used to be in the older games that you could, um, with Kai, you could uppercut and then immediately follow up with a projectile. You can't do that in this one. There are other ways that you can combo uh, to get setups into projectiles, but some of your tried and true bread and butters are not going to uh, be in it. Um, one thing that I did notice specifically, um, I wasn't able to confirm if this was a uh, a rampant problem. Let me just check to see if anyone else confirmed that this was an issue or not. No, I didn't. I didn't really get anything. Um, I, for one, thought that I was getting uh, input drops when I was playing on stick. That might have just been me being done with stick. That might have been a. Um, that might have been an issue with um, my uh, with my ping. Uh, who knows? Um, I I was talking about connections. All the connections seemed really fine. Um, I didn't see like for me the most lag that I had was I think because it mentions it mentions uh, frames and it mentions millisecond delay and I. It never got into the triple digits for input lag. I think I, I think I hovered around like sixty to seventy throughout my entire time playing. And uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a, a bit of an ask because PlayStation Five has where their games are now seventy dollars, and I think the deluxe version is eighty, where you get both the PS Four and the PS Five version. Um, it's, even though it's technically not the first fighting game for PlayStation 5, it is the first recognizable name. I want to say it was like, uh, what is it? Mega Brawl PS5. There was like a Robot Brawl, a sequel to Override Mecha City, Override Mech City Brawl 2. Um, Override 2 is the first PlayStation 5 fighting game. Um, Netcode was not great on it. I played on the beta on that. It seems fun enough, but I think just for an offline casual thing, even though it's got Ultraman cameos in it, um, I haven't really heard anybody talk too much about it. So all, all things considered, Guilty Gear is your first fighting game purchase for the PlayStation 5. And, uh, it's, um, is it worth it? I think, I think when they announce more of the features involved with it, uh, it might be a good proposition. It plays fine. Um, 
I have no complaints with that part of it. We'll just see if it is worth the price that they are asking for for it. Guilty Gear Strive for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and then I think they announced a PC version. Let's take a look real quick while I have this up. Uh, Pre-purchase. June 11th, I think is what it said. Yeah, June 11th is when it is officially going to come out. And uh, I would say, if you have never played a Guilty Gear game, this is a good time to start. Um, if you have played a Guilty Gear game, or it's been a while since you played a Guilty Gear game, this seems like it would be a good time to uh, get into it, uh, especially since it is not as hyper-crazy movement as some of the other games are. I think they are definitely taking advice from... because the team is responsible for both Dragon Ball Fighters and Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Speed-wise, it almost feels like it is um, a middle ground between the two, if that gives you an idea. Not too crazy, not too simplified. I think it is just right, especially when you're billing this as a reboot slash reimagining to the franchise. So, Guilty Gear Strive. Pick it up. Um... They don't have like a physical collector's edition for this one, which makes my collector heart very sad, but you know what? It might be worth a shot. Even if you're just uh, curious about it. I think they even might have a... Um, they may potentially have a demo, but don't quote me on that. Guilty Gear Strive. I might pick it up. June 11th. Uh, you can also pre-order it so it'll be ready for when it launches. And I think the deluxe version, if you pay the extra for that, I think you get to play it two days early. Something like that. I think that's the new incentive now for these. Yeah, Guilty Gear Strive. It was fine enough. Now on to the next thing. And now to close out the show, we are going to pull your questions. I sent a message to Instagram and Twitter to find your burning questions, and I got one. We have a response from at QueerAnti on Twitter asking, best babyface storyline. Well, since we are not specifying a timeline, we're going to go through all of them, past, present, and dream scenario, maybe. Um, best babyface storyline. Currently? Uh, that's going to be the uh, Savage Gentleman with the Butterfinger Belt versus Murderhawk Lance Hoyt. I think uh, when it comes to the internet shenanigans, because I like my ridiculous storylines, uh, that is the best one going on right now because it is very wholesome and uh, wonderful that Butterfinger is wanting to 
to to play with us marks uh, and award a belt for his mutual love of peanut butter. When it comes to best all-time babyface storyline, I would normally say Eddie Guerrero, but my favorite one was when he was a heel. I wasn't really rooting for Ray on that one. Uh, by the way, side note, favorite storyline of all time is Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, 2005, culminating in the custody for Damien ladder match at SummerSlam. Nothing really made me feel the way that match did. Uh, let's think here. I mean, I love Drew. Drew is kind of my favorite WWE guy right now. Uh, Cody is doing impressive stuff in AEW. Um, as far as like best all time babyface, you know I am going through the WCW rabbit hole and. Uh, Lex Luger is kind of being babyface right now. So that's at least caught my attention. Let's say Federation, though. Piper wasn't really a face. Like Piper's work, Jake was never really a face per se. Neither was Million Dollar Man. I really like my heels. I'm really just going through the the roster in my head of people that I gravitate towards, and most of them are heels. Isn't that something? Um, why is it on like this simple one, so open-ended that I'm getting stumped? Christopher Daniels? No, he was kind of friend of me with AJ. During TNA days, who's like white meat baby face? You know what? Paul Lennon and Brian Kendrick. They were probably the most over tag team during the Ruthless Aggression era. They knew how to put on a show. They know how to put on a clinic. And they wowed the crowd every single time. You know what? That's my answer. Favorite baby face is... Paul Lennon and Brian Kendrick. Can't hate those guys. They they worked hard and they wowed every single Tuesday slash Thursday slash Friday, whenever SmackDown was on, they wowed at every opportunity that they had. That's that's what I think I'm gonna go with. And I think that's how we're gonna go ahead and close out the show. I have a poll up or a thread up again on social media, go on my Instagram and my Twitter at SoulWrestles. Respond to the thread involving the Renegade Roundup and maybe your question will be featured on the next episode. Until then, this is Soul signing out, reminding you do what Toonami Tom told you and stay golden.
Until next time, my friends.